You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks very much for joining us. It was a solemn goodbye today for Constable Shailen Yang, the Burnaby RCMP officer killed in the line of duty last month. Thousands of police officers and first responders from across the country and the U.S. packed the Richmond Oval to pay their respects in a regimental procession and funeral full of protocol and poignant moments. Grace Key reports. It was a sea of red in the regimental procession for fallen RCMP officer Constable Shailen Yang. They came from across Canada and Washington State to pay tribute. People lined up along the sidewalk to show their support, including seven-year-old Rayanne, whose father was in the procession. What about you? What do you want to be when you grow up? A police officer. Why that? Why? Because I get to save people. A family friend described the incredible love Shailene shared with her wife, Simone. While Shailene was in the academy, she couldn't bear the separation. In the early days of her RCMP training, she wanted to leave. She missed Simone terribly. So every two weeks, for six months, Simone went to Regina. Shailen moved to Canada from Taiwan when she was young. Her family said it was as if she spent her whole life preparing for her role as an RCMP member, training in Taekwondo when she was five. She faced so much adversity, the sort of adversity that can really change a person. But in all the time I knew her, she only ever grew warmer, and kinder than before. Shailen started her career volunteering with Richmond RCMP's Victim Services. She was an officer for only three years, posted to the Burnaby Detachment. She worked with the mental health and homeless team and was known for her dedication and compassion. Having completed her training and as she prepared to take her oath, her facilitators let her know that she was exactly what the RCMP was looking for. Constable Shailen Yang was just 31 years old. She dedicated her life to service and made the ultimate sacrifice on October 18th, dying in a Burnaby Park while reaching out to a homeless person. Grace Key, Global News. And that man accused of killing Constable Shailen Yang appeared in court via video link today. Ramina Dea has the latest on his path through the justice system. As the funeral for Constable Shailen Yang was getting underway, the man accused of murdering the Burnaby Mountie made his first court appearance in Vancouver Provincial Court. 37-year-old Jong Wan Ham has been released from hospital. He appeared via video in courtroom 101 Wednesday morning. We can't tell you what happened in court because of a publication ban. Ham is charged with first-degree murder in connection to Yang's death. The officer was helping a homeless man in a tent in Burnaby last month when she was fatally stabbed in the chest. She shot the suspect before she died. A recent Global News investigation revealed Ham, who's originally from Korea, was a well-respected actor and Emmy Award-winning filmmaker from Toronto with an impressive resume of work spanning nearly a decade. A close friend told us Ham suffered a mental health downward spiral after he was falsely accused of sexual assault in Toronto years ago. Ham ultimately made his way west. He ended up living in a tent in Burnaby after he was kicked out of his penthouse in Vancouver. 
His roommate called 911 about an alleged death threat in January 2021. In and out of jail, Ham was charged with two counts of assault and resisting a police officer in two separate incidents. Another warrant was issued for Ham's arrest the day before Constable Yang was killed. Ham remains in custody. His next court appearance is November 16th. Romina Dea, Global News. Former Vancouver Whitecaps women's soccer coach Bob Berarda will be going to jail after admitting to sexually assaulting a number of players. As Julie Nolan reports, one player who blew the whistle on him hopes this sentence will finally provide closure for his victims. Bob Berarda enters North Vancouver Provincial Court after pleading guilty in February to three counts of sexual assault and one count of sexual touching involving four females under 18 years old. All were soccer players he coached or mentored over a span of 20 years. The defense argued for some leniency after he apologized in court to the four victims in September. The judge called the case troubling and tragic for all parties. She also cited his pro-social strengths and minimal risk to reoffend in her sentencing as he's now working as a financial planner. In the end, Berarda received 16 months in prison, eight months of a conditional sentence to be served in the community, and three years probation. I don't think that there's a sentence that would match the amount of harm that was caused um, just across the gamut with players. Um, but I think at the end of the day, looking at the justice system, I think it was probably a, a best case scenario. The judge said the players were groomed and manipulated because he had power over their soccer careers at various levels. With Berarda as an example of abuse of authority and trust, whistleblower Kira McCormick says much more needs to be done to help vulnerable young women and teens in sports. It allows sort of a, a closing of a chapter and, and moving forward. Um, but I mean, I think obviously that'll never erase the experiences that we had and as players under him. Berarda now hands over a DNA sample and will be added to a sex offender registry. He's also been banned from coaching or volunteer work in sports. The details of the transition from Berarda's release from prison to his conditional sentence and probation still need to be worked out at a later court date. In the meantime, he's also been ordered not to have contact with his victims. Julie Nolan, Global News. The public mischief trial of outgoing Surrey Mayor Doug McCallum continued today. The defense called expert witnesses to illustrate that McCallum's injuries could have been caused by a car running over his foot. McCallum alleged that he was run over in the South Point Savon Foods parking lot after a confrontation with a woman. Catherine Urquhart reports. Newly released CCTV footage captures different images of Surrey Mayor Doug McCallum walking in the hours immediately after his foot was allegedly run over. Later that day, he gave his statement to police, removing his shoe and showing his foot. Now, if you see um, the red mark there. He claimed his foot he'd been run over by Debbie Johnstone in a Save on Foods parking lot. Earlier in the day, he made this 911 call. First of all, my name is Doug McCallum. I'm the mayor of Surrey. Okay. Um, and I just want to um, report a hit and run. It was a convertible and she had her top down. Okay. And was just screaming blue murder. Um, and she ran over my leg and foot. McCallum was later charged with public mischief. And his trial is underway in Surrey Provincial Court. 
His lawyers are presenting defense arguments. In laying out its case, defense asserted that Doug McCallum was justified in complaining to the RCMP about his foot being run over, even if his statement included embellishments. She pulled up in this convertible so tight and, and literally just both pinned me to the car, which I was at the back of my car, okay. and stopped and then just yelled at me, screamed and so forth. In this CCTV footage, McCallum does not appear to be pinned by Debbie Johnstone's car. He does not appear to check for injury to his body. And moments later, he was walking with no apparent limp. Three witnesses have appeared for defense, including Dennis Chimick. The biomechanical engineer testified a foot can be driven over without bones breaking. And a radiologist from Peace Arch Hospital testified that x-rays appeared to show swelling on McCallum's left foot, although he never examined the foot. Defense is expected to call two more witnesses. A summary conviction for public mischief previously carried a maximum sentence of six months. In 2019, that changed to two years less a day. The trial resumes on Tuesday. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. The VPD officer who fired the first shots at a suspect in a frightening rampage at a Canadian tire store has testified at the inquest looking into the 2016 incident. The officer says he tried using a taser, but when that didn't stop the man, he says he was forced to fire his gun. Aaron MacArthur reports. A day of different but eerily similar descriptions about what happened in November 2016 inside the Canadian Tire Store on Grandview Highway. The loss prevention officer from the store describing what happened inside, and then the first police officers on scene describing what happened outside the store before Daniel Rintel was shot. The Canadian Tire employee told the coroner's inquest about Daniel Rintoul walking into the store using a can of bear spray and assaulting the employees behind the gun counter. His testimony indicated he realized this was not a robbery, but something much more serious when the suspect broke into the gun cabinet and tried to load weapons with ammunition. He feared it could turn into a mass shooting event. But when Rintoul couldn't manage to load the guns, he left the store with a hostage. When police first arrived on scene, Rintoul was already out on the parking deck. Before Constable Gary Lee could even approach the suspect he assumed was the person responsible, he and his partner, Justin Fraser, were attacked with bear spray. Lee fired his taser, and then he and his partner tried to handcuff Rintoul, but the suspect continued to fight, stabbing Fraser several times. Lee testified he was feeling the effects of the bear spray and fearing for his life and those around him. Knowing his partner had been stabbed, he shot Rintoul. The record indicates he fired four times. Rintoul wasn't incapacitated, though. He was screaming for the officers to finish him off. Fraser was pulled clear, but a police rifle lay on the ground, and Rintoul was still armed with a knife and bear spray. Backup officers arrived. Rintoul shot several more times. Emotional testimony from all the police officers on the stand today. Gary Lee talking about how difficult it was to render first aid to his partner who had been stabbed several times. That officer, Constable Fraser, expected to testify next week. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. The B.C. government's new boost to family doctors has politicians across the country 
fearing their physicians will head west. The newly announced raise puts B.C. near the top for salaries. But as Richard Zussman reports, there may be fewer holes to fill because B.C. hopes the incentive encourages doctors who train here to stay here. Giant placards, a slick website, television ads. It's been hard to miss Alberta's plea to workers here in British Columbia. Alberta's calling to say there's a better life out here. Now it may be BC's turn to call back. BC is always calling. Earlier this week, Health Minister Adrian Dix unveiling a brand new payment model and raises for family doctors in this province. Support to GPs that will help cover administrative costs, soaring rents and pay for time spent with complex patients. And making Alberta's leader the official opposition worry doctors will abandon that province and head west. It may even be an improvement on what we have in Alberta, but it is, is it the best overall? According to the Canadian Institute for Health Information, Alberta still pays family doctors the most in Canada, with Quebec then coming in at $370,000 a year. The current bottom, British Columbia and Ontario. But with all these changes, BC's moving up to a minimum of $385,000 a year for full-time doctors setting up a potential race to the top. Across Canada, we're all swimming in the same sort of crises. You know, we have a crisis of health human resources. We have a crisis of instability of primary care. Health Minister Adrian Dix insists this is not about poaching doctors from other provinces and driving up overall health care costs. And he'll make that argument next week when health ministers from across Canada meet in Vancouver. I don't think we can afford to do that. One of the purposes of our meeting as provincial health ministers next week is to work together on this. We need to make these changes everywhere to smooth pathways for international educated doctors and nurses everywhere and for allied health professionals and healthcare workers. And creating a path to train and retain more physicians. This is a transformation of our system here. But the key to us and the key to recruiting doctors, 92% of the doctors we train in BC, UBC stay in BC. And that's why we're increasing the number of spaces in post-secondary education here, why we're adding an SFU medical school. Meaning when BC does make that call to pay doctors more, there's someone on the other end to answer. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. And Keith Balry joins us now. Keith, we've heard the word backlog said a lot, a big challenge mm -hmm. clearing the backlog in surgeries, but we understand the province has been able to ramp up the number of surgeries compared even to pre-pandemic levels. What have you learned? Yeah, we check on this uh, from time to time, Chris, what the number of surgeries are from any given week. And, you know, recall back in March 2020, all the surgeries were cancelled in B.C. And there was some question whether we could catch up. We have caught up and we've exceeded the levels of the numbers of surgeries pre-pandemic. Take a look at the first uh, stats for the first two weeks of October. October 2nd to 8th, 7,178 surgeries, an increase of 166 from the same week in 2019. A little fewer surgeries in the, the following week, but still an increase from the corresponding week from 2019. We're averaging about 6,600 surgeries a week for the last couple of months. That's more than what we saw pre-pandemic. So the bottom line is we continue to talk and report on the crisis in healthcare, but stats like this show the system has never been busier and it's the demand for healthcare has never been higher. So it is a crisis, but it's a very, very busy healthcare system. No doubt it is. Okay, thank you, Keith. Police are investigating a wild scene at a Tawasson Park. Hundreds of people setting off fireworks on Halloween night, even aiming them at passersby and first responders. Why some say Metro Vancouver's patchwork of fireworks bylaws is partly to blame for this. Next on the News Hour.
I feel like I spent more of the game watching grandma watch the game than I did actually watch the game myself. A British grandma gets her first taste of professional hockey. How the trip started with just a tweet later. And how the substance that puts the magic in these mushrooms could be a huge help in the treatment of PTSD. That's coming up. Right now, those Saanich police are investigating after allowing or after Halloween mayhem broke out on the UVic campus over the weekend. Social media video shows hundreds of people gathered, some climbing signposts as the crowd eggs them on. And as Kylie Stanton reports, the damage left behind is shocking. What is this Toilets destroyed, leaving a bathroom gutted. Someone tried to break in. Windows smashed as partiers take things to a new level. But what's more shocking than the videos themselves is the reaction they're getting around campus. <laughs> I'm not surprised. Um, I don't know. It's university. It's, it's pretty childish, you know, but uh, it is what it is, I guess, yeah. This past Saturday, hundreds gathered at the University of Victoria's residence buildings, all there to celebrate Halloween. Despite a no-guest policy in place and extra Saanich police officers on duty, there was significant property damage. One person was arrested for public intoxication, another was transported to hospital for medical attention. And an investigation into an alleged sexual assault that occurred nearby has now been launched. At this point, we're assessing the details, uh, whether uh, the two individuals knew each other, whether uh, they were strangers. Uh, really looking at everything that was involved in that and supporting the survivor as much as we can. While the series of events is raising questions about security on campus, the university is defending its protocols. In a statement, it says campus security conducts regular patrols on weekends assisted by Saanich police, as well as during peak periods to help ensure the safety of our community. But it's not the first time things have gotten out of control. October of last year, an even larger party broke out at the residences during pandemic restrictions. But experts say the lack of socialization during lockdown may help to explain, although not excuse, the behavior. The classes that are coming in, um, they haven't tested independence, they haven't tested drinking. We need to talk to the people who are working with them and find you know, better ways to allow them to party. Both the university and Saanich police are continuing to investigate and additional charges could be laid. These videos are providing plenty of evidence to go on. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. Police are investigating a number of fireworks-related incidents across Metro Vancouver that left several people, including young people and first responders, injured. Kamal Kuramali now has a look at how an uneven patchwork of bylaws across the region could be contributing to the problem. It looks like a war zone. 400 young people lighting off fireworks in Tuas and aiming explosives at each other. Seeing chaos. You're seeing people intentionally trying to injure other people. Two Delta police officers suffered minor injuries. Seven youth also hurt. The most serious, a young woman. A young lady had been hit with a firework. Uh, it stuck or stayed with her, her jacket for a little bit, set the jacket on fire and caused some pretty significant burns to her. Fireworks are illegal in Delta unless you purchase a permit. But this year... Not a single person purchased Not a permit. single person, no. Really? Yeah. 
So how did hundreds of young people get their hands on tens of thousands of dollars worth of fireworks? Until we have a regional um, response to the fireworks, what we will see are users uh, in our area buying fireworks from other municipalities. Police say it's tough to bust fireworks users when most of the time they're gone by the time officers arrive. There's not really much of an incentive to people when they know that the law isn't being enforced to follow the law. Another major criticism, the rules for fireworks are different across Metro Vancouver. In Delta, they're banned unless you buy a permit. Surrey also bans them unless you complete training, have liability insurance and a site plan. North Vancouver has set dates and times for people to purchase and set off fireworks. And Vancouver has banned all fireworks except for events like Diwali, but they must be set off by a certified firework technician. It would be preferable if municipalities could agree to come up with the same rule related to the enforcement of fireworks provisions. Delta's mayor is hoping to talk to other mayors about having consistent rules. There's something wrong. There's something that needs to be fixed. Delta police looking for tips on any of the youth involved who could face charges of assault with a weapon. Kamel Karamali, Global News. WorkSafe BC and aviation authorities are investigating a construction mishap at Cypress Mountain last Friday. A resort spokesperson says a Sikorsky helicopter was forced to drop a tower ahead destined for the mountain's new chairlift because of thick fog. The helicopter landed safely and no one was hurt, but the upper section of the tower head was destroyed and now must be replaced. The manufacturer, Doppelmeyer, is delivering a new tower head and Cypress officials hope to have their new Sky Quad chairlift operating by the middle of next month. Just ahead, a comedy show where no one was laughing. The fallout from a fight at a Kelowna community theater. Also coming up, atmospheric river number three and who gets hit hardest by the next heavy rainfall. Still dealing with a stalled semi over at the Patello Bridge. It's southbound at the north end in the right lane and traffic is slow out of New West as a result. Today's Lotto 649 Gold Ball jackpot is $10 million plus a classic $5 million jackpot. Two jackpots on every draw. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. Quick warning right now about our next story. When Kelowna residents took in a comedy show Friday evening, they were not expecting it to pack such a punch. Things took a dramatic and disturbing term and a, a turn, rather. And as Jasmine King reports, RCMP are now investigating after a number of fights broke out. Well-known comedian Steve-O was in Kelowna Friday night during a stop on his bucket list tour. And during the pre-show, things quickly got out of hand. It was two girls. The one girl said, can you please be quiet? And they told her, you know, off. And then the other one, a couple minutes later, said, we can't hear. And then, and then it just started fighting. Haycans was on the other side of the Kelowna Community Theatre and watched the heated argument turn into a brawl involving multiple people. All I saw was this girl in this white shirt, and she was just, like, pounding on this girl. It was horrible. It was so bad. And then her boyfriend and some other guy started fighting, so the one girl was beating her up in the chair behind her, and then the two larger men in black were fighting in the aisle. Oh, she's 
Shortly after the fight broke out, security guards went over to intervene and escort several people out of the theater. The city of Kelowna, who operate the theater, said in a statement that they believe the security company acted appropriately in response to the altercation between the patrons and that they were removed without any further incident. Haycant says these types of situations can make going out a scary experience. I went out to have a good time and, you know, thank God it was just that, you know, thank God there was no knives or guns there. Kelowna RCMP says they received a complaint regarding the incident and are now investigating. They're asking anyone who attended the show and has photos and videos from the altercation to contact police. Jasmine King, Global News, Kelowna. Well, the third atmospheric river of the season is set to hit B.C. Senior meteorologist Christy Gordon joins us live with details of what we can expect and when it's coming. Christy? Well, as we well know here across the south coast, that means heavy rain and windy conditions. For our region, the hardest hit uh, time period will be afternoon, but particularly evening hours where we could see power outages. But, Sophie, I'm also concerned about snow. Where the freezing levels will drop to about 300 metres across the south coast. We could see snow in SFU, Westwood Plateau, and certainly the local mountains. But anywhere north of Brandywine along the Cedar Sai Highway will see significant snow, and that includes the central interior caribou region, where travel is not recommended in those areas later tomorrow. 10 to 20 centimeters is possible as that atmospheric moves in, river moves in. Now on Friday, an, another transition, Sophie, with even more concerns, and I'll highlight those when I come back. I'm not ready for it. Mm -mm. Not ready for it. Thanks, Christy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, still to come, yet another reason to get a flu shot. New research discovers the vaccine has an added benefit. No one knew until now. And smooth sailing, what this ship represents as we close out cruise season. Take a moment to reflect. BC Remembers, live on Global BC and BC One, Friday, November 11th from 10.30 a.m. Brought to you by the Royal Canadian Legion. We remember to honour Canada's veterans. It's another busy commute through Burnaby tonight, eastbound on Highway 1, with major congestion still at merge points like Willingdon and Kensington. Today's Lotto 649 Gold Ball jackpot is $10 million, plus the classic $5 million jackpot. Two jackpots on every draw. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. Well, the province has announced it will be adding thousands more $10-a-day child care centres. More than 1,300 spaces will be added this month alone, with the program hoping to reach 12,500 in total by the end of the year. To support the goal, the federal government is contributing $3.2 billion to the program over the next five years. According to the government, the program saves families roughly $800 a month per child on care expenses. Well, if protection against influenza isn't enough incentive to get your flu shot, here's another good reason. Canadian researchers have published a study in a prominent medical journal showing that poke could prevent a stroke. Suling Go reports. Stroke, or a sudden loss of brain function, is the third leading cause of death and a major cause of disability in Canada. The best way to prevent stroke is with healthy habits, but could there be a simpler method? We thought, you know, what about vaccination? Could there be a relationship between people who receive influenza vaccination and perhaps their risk of strokes? That idea didn't come out of the blue for University of Calgary researchers. There's a relationship between 
influenza and myocardial infarction, so heart attacks. Uh, and so drawing the, drawing the links in with stroke was, was uh, a natural next step. They studied the health records of more than 4 million Albertans over 10 flu seasons. And they found in the six months after a flu shot, when influenza protection would be at its highest, the risk of stroke was significantly lower. I wasn't surprised that the effect existed, but I was a little bit surprised at how strong the effect was, and especially that the effect existed for all adults. All ages of adults and all levels of health, even those with chronic conditions, seem to benefit. The researchers add any upper respiratory infection, including strep, pneumonia and COVID, increases the risk of stroke or heart attack. We know pathologically that some of the mechanisms of stroke are related to specific bacteria or viruses that will infect not only your lungs or your bronchioles, but also plaque in the carotid artery, for example. That means there is potential for other vaccines to prevent stroke, yet another reason to keep up on all your shots. What a great added bonus here, too, that this might be influencing your cardiovascular risk profile as well. Sulingo, Global News. A Vancouver-based company has received approval for North America's first take-home psilocybin clinical trial. Psilocybin is the psychedelic ingredient commonly found in what are known as magic mushrooms. A synthetic version of the drug will be evaluated for its efficacy in treating depression and PTSD in veterans. The trial by Apex Labs of Vancouver consists of multiple low doses of psilocybin to be taken orally at home. Approval for the trial comes 11 months after Health Canada broadened the special access program to include psilocybin, meaning doctors can prescribe the drug on a case-by-case -case basis. Still to come, Grandma's first hockey game. Fantastic! I absolutely loved it. How the Flames have themselves a brand new fan and the group effort it took to get her to the Saddle Dome. And also coming up in sports, BC's Chase Claypool carves out a new path playing for the Chicago Bears. How he feels about the trade. We are at a critical turning point in cancer care and research, but together our potential is beyond belief. The BC Cancer Foundation has launched the most ambitious health campaign in BC's history. Give today at gobeyondbeliefbc.ca. Well, obviously we had the big event this morning with the uh, regimental funeral of uh, Shailen Yang and what an amazing day for it with so many people outside on the parade. Uh, beautiful sunshine and, uh, and thankful for that, obviously, but a big change coming too, Christy. Yeah, so we're so lucky actually that it landed on today, the sunshine, because yeah, we're in for it tomorrow, Chris. As I mentioned, initially for the south coast, that means a heavy wind, sorry, strong winds and heavy rain, particularly through the afternoon and evening hours. That's when we could start to see some power outages. But let's have a look again. It's a snowfall for the central interior caribou region and anywhere north along the Sea to Sky Highway of north of Brandywine. Significant snow expected tomorrow. Tomorrow's not a good day for travel later in the day, and we could could even see snow over 300 meters across the south coast. Certainly on the local mountains, we'll see it. But my big concern as we head into Friday is we're going to see a surge in warmth. So tomorrow will be cold, but then a warm up is expected. And so this 10 to 20 centimeters of snow, even in the interior regions, is going to melt under that warm up and heavy rain. So on Thursday, dangerous roads. But then on Friday, we could see localized flooding as all of that snow melt and heavy rain comes down and 
and uh, the runoff uh, starts to sort of pile up in low-lying areas. Now, for the south coast, as I mentioned, the potential for power outages is in the evening. But then we're going to also see heavy rain. So Thursday, power outages. But then Friday, when we see snow melt from the local mountains, that's when we could see some localized flooding in our region also. So again, a very busy day tomorrow. Tune in to BC1. We'll have highlights certainly throughout the day tomorrow. Those of you in the interior, you southern interior, you could also see snowfall later in the day tomorrow. Less amounts uh, than that 10 to 20, but still snowfall expected through the evening and overnight hours for you. So wet and windy through the latter part of the day tomorrow. Again, strongest winds likely in the evening with a big warm-up expected on Friday and significant snow melt, potential for localized flooding. We come out of it, though, just in time for Saturday, as you can see here. Not a bad weekend in store for us. All right, tonight's Central Windows weather window coming to you from Barb, Bob, I should say, Bernard uh, in the Kelowna area. Lovely uh, fall colors, as you can see there. Chris, back to you. All right, beautiful foliage. Thanks, Christy. Well, the last cruise ship of the season has left Vancouver, marking the end of what turned out to be a record year. 306 ships passed through the port of Vancouver this year, 6% more than before the pandemic. But those ships weren't as full as they used to be. The number of passengers was down about uh, 30% from 2019. Officials with the Port of Vancouver still call the 2022 cruise season an impressive comeback story. Those ships will fill up again one day, no doubt about it. Okay, Squires here with a look ahead to sports. Well, no impressive comeback last night. No. Canucks fell behind 4-2, lost 5-2. Although I did like those uniforms they wore. Yeah, they look good. But just because you look good doesn't mean you play good. Uh, we'll talk to Bruce Boudreaux. We'll have uh, Chase Claypool's now in Chicago. Nathan Rourke looking good at practice. And the Canadian men's soccer coach, John Herdman, we'll hear from him as well. Sounds great. Also coming up tonight. I thought uh, the people of Calgary are so nice, so lovely. And <laughs> the kindness of strangers and how it helped get a British grandmother to her very first hockey game. we need to know to a look at what's happening right now around us when bc needs to connect bc turns to the source that brings us together global news connect okay squires here with sports and we all have fond memories of when the yeah. canucks were were winning yeah it was nice while it lasted mm -hmm. for you know, hope you enjoyed it i hope minute. you had a party that'd have been nice <laughs> parade would have been nice uh, yeah, that two-game win streak, that was so last week. Whatever good memories they gave people, they were blown away last night by the speed of the New Jersey Devils, who defeated Vancouver 5-2. And right now, the Vancouver Canucks, after 10 games, are the worst team in the NHL. 32 out of 32. But I will give you a silver lining. That also means the Canucks, at this moment, are in the lead in the Connor Bedard lottery. But... It's a long way to go to. Uh, Bruce Boudreaux was stunned at how poor his team was at times last night, especially defensively. They gave the Devils lots of runway to take off. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't understand it. Um, it is frustrating. I mean, that's you know, I mean, obviously we're two six and two, so we're not getting enough out of any, anybody right now, and uh, that's that's the case. I mean, uh, we need 
our veteran guys and our better players to be our better players on a consistently day and every day, not just one good game here and one good game there. And, and that just not goes for only for them, but it goes for the forwards as well and the goaltending as well. Again, the uniforms look good. I like those. That's one thing. Mm -hmm. uh, Nathan Rourke was doing more at practice today for the BC Lions than he has done since injuring his foot in August. He was not only throwing the ball, he was pulling it down and running as well. And that's something he will need against Calgary on Sunday in the Western semifinal at BC Place. One of Rourke's weapons before he got hurt was the fact that if he doesn't see anybody open, he can take the ball and run himself. So everybody at Lions headquarters today were ecstatic that Rourke was getting more and more back to his old self. It looks great to me. I mean, it really does. We have to watch the film and do those things. I, he's probably frustrated about a few reads, which that's typical of him. But physically, sure looked good. And uh, um, like you said, he pulled the ball down and ran. He moved around, uh, did what he needed to do. And, he, and he's saying he feels good. Just got to get the timing and rhythm of things back into it. I mean, it's my first week full reps of practice right so um, and I have no doubt that that's just going to get better as the week progresses um, I'm thankful for a full week of prep uh, so I can take full advantage of that but just being uh, there on the field and having to read coverages and and uh, third of the guys on in a, in a numerous different looks is I think is all good for me and despite the fact this will be Nathan Rourke's first full game since August the BC Lions want to use all the pages in their playbook yeah, no, 100%. I mean, that's the plan this week is we're not, we're not putting any limitations on, on the playbook. If, if we, we see a look that's going to be good against what they do, then we're going to run it and we're not going to take the foot into account, and that's the goal, um, and uh, happy with that. Now, we don't know if the Whitecaps will bring Lucas Cavallini back next season, but he is going to Canada's pre-camp for the World Cup this month. It's mostly a camp full of MLS players. None of the main European guys will be there yet. Cavallini will likely play in the exhibition game they'll have November 11th against Bahrain. That's where the camp is, too. He's hoping to impress the coaching staff to get onto the main roster because the World Cup is right in the middle of all the European League seasons. And because of that, there's always a danger that a player could get hurt right before the tournament begins. It happened to Canada. Defender Scott Kennedy injured his shoulder. Now he can't play. So head coach John Herdman is looking for fill-ins. There are other elements of the, the roller course that we're going to have to ride on this journey in the next couple of weeks with the amount of games players are playing. But coming into Qatar, it, it is an assessment period. So people are going to be pushing for selection um, you know players we've brought in some of them have had terrific MLS seasons some of them have been competing in Europe and and others are you know there to sort of just make sure they prove that they're at that fitness and physical match fitness level that we can rely on them to contribute in Qatar. Abbott's first Chase Claypool was in Chicago today to meet his new teammates with the Bears. Now, he was traded to Chicago yesterday by the Pittsburgh Steelers. And Bears fans are excited to get him because they've seen what he can do if he is utilized properly. Now, this year, the Steelers changed him from an outside receiver to an inside receiver, and that didn't work out so well. In Chicago, they'd be wise to put Claypool back on the outside where he does his best work. Yeah, um, you know, I'm a playmaker, and I'm... And I'm excited to make plays. I feel like I didn't have, uh, you know, the full opportunity to show what I can do um, this year. But I think I've been able to show that in the past. And uh, I'm excited to be 
able to gain that trust with Justin too, where he knows if he needs a play, he can come to me, and frankly, probably any receiver out there. So um, that's just the a dynamic playmaker is, is the guy that the Bears are game. Might take him a little bit to get up to speed with the new playbook, but once he does, mm -hmm. he could do some big things in Chicago. Mm -hmm. No doubt. All right, thanks, Squire. Up next, the tweet that helped the young woman give her British grandma the gift of professional hockey. That's next. From the stories that touch us all to the events happening all around us, when BC needs to connect, BC turns to the source that brings us together. Global News. Connect. Jordan Armstrong standing by now with a look ahead to Global News at 11. Jordan? Sophie, signs are going up in a Coquitlam neighborhood this hour warning of one or more aggressive coyotes. One dog has been killed in recent weeks. Another had a close call. We'll hear from a witness tonight. Plus, more bad news at Hootsuite. The Vancouver-based social media company says it is laying off 5% of its staff. This comes just a few months after it laid off 30% of its workforce. We'll tell you why on Global News at 11. Sophie? All right, thanks for that, Jordan. To wrap things up, a British grandmother is still buzzing after witnessing her very first NHL game. The woman's granddaughter took her to a game in Calgary, so she was clearly cheering for the Flames. And as Cami Kepke reports, she had a lot of people on social media cheering for her, too. Jess Taylor and her grandma Pam share a bond that crosses continents. With Taylor growing up in Calgary and Pam in her native England, the pair made sure to never miss their Sunday calls and video chats. But one detail kept slipping into Jess's stories. Catherine, can I wonder why? I wonder what it is about these flames. <laughs> I'll have to get though one of these days, and now I have. <laughs> With travel ramping up around the world, the family is reuniting in Calgary to celebrate Dauber's 70th birthday. And Taylor saw her chance to get her grandma to her first hockey game. Last week, she put out a tweet hoping to find lower level tickets, not wanting her grandma to face the long, steep hike to the press level. I probably got close to like 50 DMs of people saying, hey, I've got season tickets lowered down. People just saying, hey, I don't have seats, but I hope you have a great time. People from England saying, I'm so excited that we have an English representative at the Dome for Tuesday. I, I nearly cried. I thought, aren't the people of Calgary so nice, so lovely? Yeah, I was just really touched. A Flames employee ended up gifting them a pair of tickets. What's a pocket dog? <laughs> and on Tuesday night, it was time for Pam to get the full Saddle Dome experience. In the Rockies, right? <laughs> so I feel like I spent more of the game watching Grandma watch the game than I did actually watch the game myself. The gloves are off and it's Zadorov and Alexiak too. I couldn't believe that. I said, Jess, why, the, why are they not stopping the fight? Everything was new. She was taking it in, asking questions, and she was just so invested, like leaning forward, getting into the chance, and it was like, this is incredible because this is my life, and I, I got to share it with her. Fantastic. I absolutely loved it. I loved the atmosphere, the game, uh, the music, being with Jess. Everything. At the end of the night, Dauber saw everything but a win. But she wouldn't trade seeing this part of her granddaughter's world for anything. Cami Kepke, Global Sports. I wonder how she would have felt at the Canucks game. <laughs> See, that's the oh. difference between North American, well, hockey and in Europe. Mm -hmm. In Europe, the fans fight each other. In hockey, exactly. the players fight each other. Down on the, down on the ice. It's confusing. Yeah. It's a little role reversal. It is. <laughs> couldn't uh, couldn't believe and 
thankful where we live when you see that it's already snow and cold in Calgary. Mm -hmm. uh, but we are getting the rain yeah. and that's going to be arriving soon, Christy. Yeah, and keep in mind, there's many parts of the province that are going to see snow tomorrow. So that's anywhere north of Brandywine through the Caribou Central Interior and the Southern Interior by the latter part of the day. But yes, wind and rain for us with the possibility of power outages, I'm thinking more towards the evening hours tomorrow. Don't forget, though, if you see a few flakes falling, if you're headed to SFU, that is certainly possible uh, through the latter part of the day tomorrow as well. And then a big warm-up is expected on Friday, and then that's when we're concerned about heavy rain and then the snow melts so some localized flooding is possible mm -hmm. won't last long if it does come all right we've been warned thank you christy quick uh thank you to everyone who came out to the chinatown foundation autumn gala last night 6.3 million dollars raised to help uh build 58 wet hastings social housing and healthcare center amazing good night everyone